Well, as you know, today is the second Sunday in the season of Advent. It's a time for us as Christians to wait and to prepare, to get ready to welcome Jesus Christ into this world and into our lives again. But when it comes to time, time to wait, time to prepare, got to be honest with you, this last year with all the disruptions and everything going on, my own sense of time has really been thrown off. You know what I mean? It's a recent study was done. It says that 80%, or at least of the participants in the study, feel that their perception of time has been thrown off this year due to all the changes brought about by the pandemic. Makes sense since scientists tell us that the, the human brain relies on having a certain amount of novel experiences on a regular basis in order to calibrate our own sense of, of time in our heads, which is why if you're in a hospital, it's very easy for you to lose track of what day it is because of the same old, same old going on all the time. So with most of us working or going to school or just spending a lot of time at home these days, the days of the week can start to run into each other like, like a bunch of blurs days. There's a New Yorker cartoon where there's this guy who sees a ghostly image appear like something out of Dickens' Christmas Carol. And the ghost says to him, I'm you from the future, or the past. I've completely lost track of time. Well, that kind of describes where I've been. I don't know about you. A lot of the times these past few months. So anyway, today, what I want to talk about is time. Specifically, I want to talk about two perspectives on time that show up all the time in the New Testament. And I'm going to start with a reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Listen now for God's word to you. Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that you will grant us the eyes to see, and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world this day as best we can. In Jesus' name, amen. That's such an evocative phrase. I love it. The fullness of time shows up a few times in the New Testament, too, a few different places. The Greek word that Paul is using here for time is chronos, chronos, which should sound familiar to, to you because it's basically the root of the Christian word, I mean, it's the English word chronological, which means a sequence of events. 
Kronos is a measure of change. It's the observance of before and after and now and then, beginning and end. But more than that, to Paul and to anybody else living in the Mediterranean world in the first century, Kronos also had a meaning or a purpose. That is, the passage of time wasn't just a random series of events. People back then saw time, or a period of time, as proceeding in a certain linear direction towards a particular end. So every moment is potentially meaningful as part of the whole, which is constantly moving towards its goal. And in Galatians, Paul says that God's Son coming into this world in Jesus Christ marks the fullness of time. It's like the sand has run down to the bottom of an hourglass. A certain period of Kronos time is at an end, and not just that, not just that it's over, but it's also that its purpose has been achieved. In this case, Paul is saying that God had ordained a time frame for the law of Moses, or the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, to be the main way for Jews to organize their lives, to live ethically, and to have an experience of the presence of God. But in the birth of Christ, God has done something decisive to end all of that. The purpose of the law as guide and teacher has been fulfilled. For now God has come to us in person and has given us direct access to the blessings we receive as the adopted or the accepted or the beloved children of God. All of us, whether we're Jews, Gentiles, whatever. Okay, so there's a lot of complex theology going on here, which I'm not going to get into, but the main point is that one way to think about time is as chronos, a sequence of events that achieves God's goal. But there's also another perspective on time. And you find it in the first chapter of Ephesians, where Paul writes this. With all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And there it is again, that phrase, the fullness of time. But here... It's important to, to know that the Greek word isn't chronos for time. It's another word entirely. It's kairos. We don't get that distinction at all in English where we just have one word for time that gets used in a lot of ways. But in biblical Greek, chronos and kairos mean different things. Kairos isn't about keeping track of a series of events on a on a clock or on a calendar. It's not focused on the past or the future. What it is, is paying attention to the now, 
the now. It's a quality of time rather than a quantity. In fact, the modern Greek word for weather is kairos. Literally, what's going on all around us right now? That's kairos. It's also an opportunity that is present in each moment to catch your breath or to have your breath taken away by a presence that connects you to something or someone much bigger and much deeper than yourself. A few years ago, I heard a phrase that really stuck with me. The sacrament of the present moment. And I investigated it, I studied it a bit, and it comes from a 17th century French mystic named Pierre de Cossod, who wrote that we ought to live each moment as if all eternity converged upon it. That is, each moment, each breath, is sacred. It's potentially sacramental, too, like like a baptism or communion. It connects you to the gracious presence of God, if only for an instant. The poet Helen Milken Tost puts it like this. She was reflecting on the story in the, the book of Exodus of Moses on Mount Sinai, when he comes and he see, he comes in the presence of God in a burning bush, and he learns God's sacred name. And she writes, I was regretting the past and fearing the future, but suddenly God spoke to me. My name is I Am. I waited, and God continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it's hard. I'm not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it's not hard. I am here. After all, my name is I am. The present moment, that's where God is. And I wonder, where are you right now? Are you present? Are you aware of your surroundings, of where you are, of what we're doing here together, uh, who you're with? Because the reality is you're not alone. And everything right now really is all right. No matter how lonely or distracted or anxious you may have been feeling or you you may feel, God is here and God is in charge. Psalm 118 says, this is the day, this is the moment that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And you know, Jesus talks about this perception of time quite a lot too in the Gospels, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, why worry? Why be anxious? 
Consider the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. Yet God takes care of them. So what are you worried about? Trust that God is going to take care of you, too. Reminds me of one of the best trips I ever took in my life. It was a train trip on the California Zephyr from Emeryville to Denver, Colorado. My wife Margaret and I uh, were gifted, actually, by her sister a sleeper compartment to ourselves, and we, it was fantastic. And then we would spend a lot of our time during the day walking around the train and going to the observation deck and just sitting down and going to the dining car and meeting really interesting people. And I, a lot of time we just sit in our uh, compartment there, our sleeping compartment, and we just look out the window. And we'd see cars on the highway beside the track, and then we would see you know, kids waving up at us as we'd go through a station. Um, we'd see sheep grazing in the, the hills of Nevada. And yeah, actually, there are some green valleys in Nevada along the side of the railroad tracks. Not a lot, but some. And then we'd see mountain goats, you know, just scampering up the crags in the Wasatch and Rocky Mountains. It was fantastic. It was beautiful, breathtaking. But even with all that, we still had a destination to get to. We still had a schedule. We had to pick up a rental car and then drive it from Denver to, all the way to Colorado Springs. So the longer the train trip took, the more worried we got about what time we were actually going to pull into Denver. And you know, the truth is that all of us spend a whole lot of time thinking like that in our lives. I've got to get there. There's no time to waste. Because when I get there, everything's going to be okay. Everything will be right. I will have arrived. Whatever the destination happens to be. You know, when I turn 18 or when I turn 21 or some other age, when I get a promotion, when I pay off my mortgage, when I retire when we get a COVID vaccine. Then I'll be happy. Then my life will be or will return to the way it is supposed to be. But you know, eventually in life, you figure out that there really is no set destination, no one destination. The train keeps on rolling and the next station is always ahead of you somewhere. And that's okay. Because if you're lucky, or if you're aware enough, you start to realize that the journey itself is the destination. And sometimes it's better to just sit back, enjoy the trip, and take in the scenery through the window. You know, one of my favorite singer-songwriters was the late Warren Zevon. And after he was diagnosed with terminal mesothelioma, he appeared, as he really often did, on the late show with David Letterman. 
And he was asked by David if there was something that he understood better now as he was facing his own mortality. And he replied, just how much you're supposed to enjoy every sandwich. And I love that phrase. I've used it many times. Just how much you need to enjoy every sandwich. And the thing is, right now, you can do just that. I don't mean you can jump up right now, rush out, and make a sandwich. But you can be in the present moment, in Kairos, even as the clock of Kronos ticks on, as life itself rolls on. I was thinking about all this this morning as I was sitting down uh, in front of a little altar that I've made at home. I was going to enter a time of stillness and silent prayer, and I wanted to be as present as I could be in the moment. But I still set a timer before I sat down on my iPhone to keep me on track for the rest of my day, because I had a lot of important things to do, including preach this sermon. And that's how different as they are as perceptions of time. Kronos and Kairos work together. There's a time to remember the past and plan for the future, and there's a time to pause, to be aware, and to be open to the sacred presence of God right now. So in that light, I invite you to join me now in the sacrament of communion. Whoever you are, Wherever you are, you are welcome to the Lord's table to eat and drink and to enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ. So let's do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.